Hey everybody, this is Jordan. What you're about to hear today is a bonus episode on a short little letter that Lewis wrote called Conditions for a Just War. I say it's a bonus episode because we did not find it until the week before we recorded it, and so we were a little underprepared, which shouldn't come as a shock to you. We always seem to be a little less prepared than, uh, well, at least less prepared than we are always hoping to be, but we're trying to get better. And in this episode, as is often the case, Sean and I seem to meander off the, uh, the path that Lewis is trying to keep us on. And of course, our goal in this podcast is to just try and communicate as clearly as we can the main points of C.S. Lewis's essays. And we're very much still trying to do that uh, better and better each time we record. But, um, but this time, I think we did get off on a few rabbit trails that are specifically about conditions for a just war, but they might be um, beside Lewis's point. So I just want to highlight up front, I think that Lewis's main point in this essay is that you as a citizen are not morally responsible to God if your government sends your country to a war that is unjust. Even if you're a soldier or you're required to participate in that war in some way. You, of course, are responsible for what your nation gives you the right to do. It gives you the right to uh, vote, the freedom to vote, the freedom to share and shape uh, public opinion. Of course, those things are your rights and you're responsible to, to do as much as you can, as much as you're able in your role in society, including protesting a war if you think it's unjust. But I think Lewis is trying to say that you don't need to feel the weight or, or maybe bear the weight of moral responsibility for participating in a war that you think is unjust, if your nation has deemed this war to be just. Now, of course, if you're in the government, maybe that's a different story. You have a different uh, responsibility to bear there. And maybe you just outright disagree with Lewis. That's fair. You're about to hear us kind of argue through whether Lewis is right in this sense, but he kind of gives this example about a hangman saying a hangman wouldn't be responsible for hanging an innocent man because the hangman's responsibility isn't to investigate the innocence, but to carry out the wishes of those whose responsibility it is to investigate innocence or to make that call. So even if there's the possibility, and there's always the possibility that those in authority are corrupt or making a bad call, that doesn't mean that us carrying out their wishes puts the moral responsibility onto us or that we would share moral responsibility for those actions. Again, maybe a crazy thought, maybe Lewis is wrong here, but I think you'll hear Sean and I in the episode kind of start looking at this in terms of what is our role in assessing whether we have a just government or a corrupt government and what's our role in assessing each decision that a government makes and trying to figure out whether it's just or whether our government is corrupt or not. And I think we have to have those discussions as a part of this question that Lewis is diving into. However, I just want to say up front, I don't think Lewis in this essay is focused on those roles that we might have in assessing whether a government is just or not. Um, he's more trying to ask the question about what's our moral responsibility when it comes down to carrying out the wishes of our governments or those in authority. So with that very long intro set, let's uh, get into the episode. 
Welcome to Lesser Known Lewis, where two friends and C.S. Lewis fans explore his lesser-known works. Join us this season as we are exploring essays from Lewis that we think speak to our world today. So, Sean, here's something interesting is I found a lost Lewis letter. Oh, yeah. In your, in like your attic? Yes. In my (laughs) attic, I found a treasure chest. And just as I opened it, this giant boulder rolled out of nowhere and started chasing me and I had to dodge it. And then there was spikes that shot out of the wall. (laughs) And, but I got away with this lost letter from C.S. Lewis. No, what actually happened was, um, okay, so... In the episode we did on why I am not a pacifist, we mentioned that it seemed to be a weakness in his argument that he doesn't talk about what are the conditions for a just war. Right. Um, because he says, if it's if the war is just, we should be going to fight it. And then in the episode on meditation on the third commandment, I was complaining that if Our government said, we are going to war. This is a just war. Well, how would I know whether it was or not? Yep. Right? And and then what am I supposed to do if I think that probably it's not a just war? Well, it turns out, Sean, I was flipping through the book of essays that I have, and I found this section where there are a few letters that C.S. Lewis kind of, I think it's like letter to the editor type thing. Because, of course, C.S. Lewis was a prolific letter writer, and there are volumes of his letters that you can buy. Uh, I have a couple of them. But these few that made it into my essays book, um, I think they are letters that got published in magazines or whatever. Well, and can we just pause there and imagine being an editor where it's like you open up the mail and it's like, oh, C.S. Lewis wrote in a thought you better hope as that editor that he is just talking about something going on or he is agreeing with a point that your magazine made because he is about to bury you under (laughs) under a a, you know a sharply formed argument (laughs) yeah yeah which seems to be the case for this letter that i found so the letter is called Conditions for a Just War. And I don't know how I missed it before we recorded the Why I'm Not a Pacifist essay or um, Meditation on the Third Commandment. But nevertheless, it would have been nice to talk about it in those episodes, but we're going to kind of add this bonus feature of of this letter. We're going to cover it right now because it, it applies to both those episodes we did. Uh, but yeah, it is a bit of a evisceration, if you will. He writes to um, contradict something that he had read in this publication. And it might have been actually someone else's letter to the editor. Someone else had written a, a little piece referring to the seven or six, maybe, conditions for a just war. Um, these are famous conditions. If you just Google them, they've been around, I think, since the time of Augustine, at least. And, uh, and so this person listed them and saying, this is how we know what a just war is. I'm not going to go through all of them because we don't got a time for that. But C.S. Lewis in this letter, uh, refutes the idea of the conditions for a just war a little bit. 
which I think is so interesting. I just thought that was a given for Christians who aren't pacifists anyway, that they believed in the conditions for a just war. But let me just uh, set this up and, and then you can kind of summarize some of it for us. He's, he begins with it by asking a question about two of the points. So one is, one of the conditions for a just war is there must be a reasonable chance of success. And C.S. Lewis kind of says, well, according to who? Like, who gets to decide that? Which I actually think, I'm like, okay, that's a fair point. Uh, another condition for the just war is that the expected benefits of a war must outweigh its anticipated costs. And Lewis asks kind of the same question. Well, benefits outweigh the cost according to who? So it's kind of a question of authority. And now these are these are conditions for a just war that are basically written by and, and agreed to by tons of theologians over the centuries. But Lewis then says, what authorities do these particular theologians have over us or our church? And particularly, he's, he's an Anglican, and he's saying, do they have authority over the English church? I don't think he's meaning to um, belittle the authority of the church or of theologians as much as the way he sees these conditions for a just war um, being played out in modern times, which is to say this, um, as modern and like post-Enlightenment, even I would say post-French Revolution, post-American Revolution uh, thinkers, we in the Western world, we think that authority comes down to the private conscience of a person mm -hmm. and anything else would be considered like totalitarian. Yeah. And obviously the way that people, the way that people really work that out in their, in their daily lives, it varies. It varies from person to person, how lived that reality is, but there is certainly a strong, for sure, a uh, strong stream in that I would say in, Anybody in, you know, North America, this was kind of interesting when I would spend more time with, say, like German and British friends when I lived overseas, how mm -hmm. deeply impacted we've been by the idea of our ancestors being pioneers. Like whether, whether you grow up on an mm. actual agricultural mm -hmm. ranching family or not, like whether that's a part of your particular family's um, narrative and, and history as nations, I think that that's gotten into our worldview quite deeply. Certainly, And so I would just say that to affirm what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. That, that the Western world in general and that North America specifically is like, you can't tell me what to do. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And so Lewis, for this, uh, this question of authority, what he's, I think he's, what he's pointing out is there do exist these seven conditions for a just war, but now that our society thinks that every individual is a sovereign authority unto themselves, like you're saying, like I have the freedom to do what I want, that we as individuals then get to look at the conditions for a just war on our own and then make a decision about every war for ourselves. That the decision about whether a war is just or not comes down to every private citizen. And he points out that like, when these conditions for a just war were developed by theologians and agreed to by any theologian before probably the 1700s, 
they were agreeing to them under the assumption that it would be uh, princes or kings, basically like the head monarch monarchial. Is that right? <laughs> I'm not sure. You can correct me if I'm wrong again. Um, the you know the head ruler of a state, they would be the ones, maybe with their tight circle of um, adv- uh, advisors, they would be the ones who had the authority who would use these conditions for a just war to then decide whether the nation would go to war or not. But now we, as private citizens who live in democracies, we take these conditions for a just war and think that we should get the right, every one of us, to have our opinion on a just war, or uh, on a war, whether it's just or not. And Lewis kind of, he questions that a lot. And he gives this great analogy in this piece um, that I found helpful. Would you, do you want to share the analogy? Because I've been talking for forever. Well, no problem. Yeah, he he talks about the hangman. And so I think that this is this is a helpful analogy because it brings down the messiness and the breadth of war and and instead says okay, we're talking about, you know, humans doing violence to other humans. And and so, you know, he talks about a hangman. I'll use that term interchangeably with the executioner because you, know, sure. you know, we're not hanging people now, but yeah. but we still, you know, there is the death penalty in many many parts of, of the world. And Christians, he says, theoretically, a, a Christian man wanting to avoid sin and be righteous could be a hangman as long as the person who's being delivered to them has gone through, um, you know, uh, an uncorrupt, a just judicial system and has been delivered to him. Uh, he is executing his duties, pardon the pun, <laughs> by by hanging that person and it isn't up to him to act as judge and jury and ask every time somebody is brought to the gallows well i wonder if this person's really actually guilty of the crimes that he or she has been accused of and therefore is what i'm doing just or unjust that's what that's what lewis says here when he talks about the hangman I have to say, I don't know how much I'm on board with this particular essay of Lewis's. This is the first one that at the end of it all, I go, yeah, I can see where you're coming from, but I don't know. Um, and here's why. I, I want to backpedal a little bit, Jordan, and you can jump in if you want, because I, I think for the listeners who haven't read um, The Conditions for a Just War, sure, I want to surmise a couple of things and then say a couple of things that are explicitly true about the essay. Number one is that I, I kind of wonder if we could... He, he references um, the, the January edition with uh, Mr. Mascal, um, who talks about the six conditions for a just war. I am going to surmise a couple of things. Number one is that, I mean, you know, obviously he's using, he's using the historical conditions for a just war. I, I say obviously, but we, there are seven of them, and he's referring to Mescal talking about six of them. So I'm not sure, you know, what we might be missing, <laughs> but... Um, but anyway, the point is, is that I know that Lewis many times during World War II strongly argued uh, against voices that would say that Britain shouldn't be in the war. And so I wonder if, and I don't know, this is, so now this is moving from surmising to guessing, that maybe Lewis was stirred up because somebody said we shouldn't be in this war. Specifically, 
that they would say, here's the conditions for a just war. You know, it's it's got to be declared by an open sovereign, uh, you know, or a sovereign authority. Um, it has to have a just cause. You know, it has to have just intentions, and it must be for establishing peace and and there must be a reasonable chance of success. We're going to talk about that more. And force needs to be the last resort. And we know that there was so much, um, uh, so many voices in England who said, you know, we just need to negotiate with the Nazis. We need to negotiate with the Nazis. And uh, there's that really famous um, Winston Churchill quote, like you can't, I think, what does he say? You can't reason with a lion when your head is in its mouth, something like that. And, and anyway, and then, and then, Number seven is that the expected benefits of a war must outweigh its anticipated costs. I know you said we weren't going to go through all of them, but I did there only to say, <laughs> I, I did that for a reason, is to say that Lewis is saying it's not up to theologians to use these criteria or any six of them to say that a war is unjust. Like, I think that's it, correct. I think that's the thread of this essay because he's saying, or at least he's saying it's not for the average citizen. Instead, it's for the monarchy. Instead, it's for the government. It needs to be the government. And I, uh, that was, that was fascinating to me. And I think that again, what we already know mm-hmm. about Lewis, uh, you know, if you've listened to season one, uh, listener and, and what we've read together, Jordan, is that he is really all about different levels of authority, different realms of authority, uh, and different levels of power. And he thinks that's a really good thing. And in this essay, it's kind of like a mind your own business essay. Do you get that, that feeling Yeah. where he's saying the hangman to go back to your question that, that, that you asked me, the hangman should do his duty and not bother whether he's hanging someone innocent or not, because the blood of an innocent person who's been delivered to the hangman is not on his hands. It's on the hands of the the lawyers the barristers the judge the jury instead is that fair do is that is that a fair way to tie those two analogies together yeah yep for sure and and okay so so then if it is fair what do you think about my what what i said like do you think that lewis's lewis's thrust with this essay is is saying to other theologians church leaders that they don't have a right to call this war unjust um because the Maybe even the God-established authorities, he doesn't use those words here, but, but the divinely established authorities, um, the government act, you know, representing the nation, acting as a nation, has decided that we're doing this war. So, so in, in that same way that the, the judge has said, yeah, this person is guilty, so hang them. If the government says this nation is guilty that we're going against a war at, then pick up the gun and go fight them. Um, do, would, you, would you say that that's, that's the argument here? And, and what do you think about that argument? I will say I also had more reservation reading this than I had reading any other essay we've read so far. Um, so I'm with you there, but I don't know I would oppose it as much as, as I'm not as opposed to it as you are. And my only, I think your historical uh, surmising and guessing is very uh, interesting. I think you could be onto something about um, it's more about would you say contradicting theologians who might be? Well, I I guess that because this isn't this is a letter this is correspondence to the editor of of a publication called Theology. Yeah, right. <laughs> and then and then the opening sentence says, "quote In your January yeah. edition, Mr. Mescal um, mentioned six conditions for a just war that have been laid down by oh, quote, yeah. theologians." And then he goes on to he goes on to talk about like oh 
like you know it is the nation is going to war and yeah. we are one nation and kind of a you need to get in line behind the nation even if you as yeah. a theologian you're a private citizen you don't have the right to um to contradict the the authorities that are in place but again i'm going a little bit beyond what lewis said there and i i, I don't want to stretch his yeah. words too far because they'll break um he's very intentional about what he wrote so i think that's possible and uh i mean certainly it, it makes some sense that oh the, this was being written in a theology journal uh however because he's in england where the church and the state are uh conjoined um if it was church of england clergy uh saying something it wouldn't be separate necessarily from what the state is saying or do you know what i mean he yes tell the... yeah and i wondered about that too if i can say because i you're you know i, I do want to get around back to back to this thing where he he talks about um princes you know that the, the idea is that that monarchs would be the ones making these decisions and their closest circle of advisors is what you said and i thought that that was really good um because I would say two things. Number one is that Lewis makes this argument when he's talking about the hangman. He says, uh, it's not so much that the hangman would would um, take upon himself the general duty of discovering whether everybody is guilty or innocent. Rather, the same duty that's on all citizens alike, quote, to ensure so far as in, as in him lies that we have an honest judicial system. Um, and that was interesting to me because um, in the same way, again, if we, if we use this analogy that he's using of the hangman and the, and the judge and, and compare it to the monarchy or the government, then maybe Lewis is making this very, and it feels very Anglican to me, this very Anglican argument that it is the job of the church to ensure that the monarchy is acting righteously so that the monarchy can make the right decisions for the church and the nation. Is that fair? Uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah at least in the uh, broadest uh, terms, uh, in the broadest terms. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think so. I, um, I would, yeah, but I would point out to that thing you just said, I would, I would pull a Lewis here and say, so it's the responsibility of the of the citizen insofar as it lies with him to ensure that we have an honest judicial system, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, how far does it lie with him? Right. <laughs> like he's asking, well, uh, according to who about these criteria for a just war, I would ask, well, how far does it lie with him? Because you could take that a lot of ways. How, how what's your responsibility to ensure that we have an honest judicial yeah. system? I think it's a really good point. Um, like I said, I'm kind of, I'm a little on Lewis's side cause I, I, I am a little, I'm, I'm unsure about this, but I think he's making a bunch of good points and the, you know, he, he kind of says it's like, um, the, this decision about a just war is so complex in the realm of international affairs. Like it requires, um, it requires so much knowledge of history and strategy to even make a decision about what's going on and geopolitics to make a decision about, is this a just war that you almost have the individual uh, citizen almost has to delegate 
that decision to their government. And our duty as citizens is to uh, make an effort to guide public opinion, he says, and to have a just government. But then my question to him would be, you know, what can we do to do that? And how far can we go to have a just government? And what if we think our government is unjust then? What if we're convinced of that? What do we, what do we, what's our responsibility then? Well, yeah. And I, and I thought, I think that's a, that's a valid question to ask because Lewis's argument here rests on the, and it's not really an assumption, but it rests on the, on the prerequisite that for the hangman, that there is an honest judicial system. So what if there's not? Mm -hmm. And in the same way, um, for the, for the warrior or, you know, the soldier, the conscript, the citizen, it rests on the idea that your, your government is at least somewhat righteous because I was thinking, I was thinking this all out, um, and, and wondering about, you know, how unjust does a war need to get before it's, before it's considered unjust or said another way, if a war starts out just what needs to happen to make it unjust? Because it's actually, it makes sense that Lewis would make this about a hangman and a, and a, um, a convict because a war is so big and broad. I think you could have many, many hundreds, thousands, maybe even tens of thousands of people with just intentions in a war. But what if the government behind the war, you know, we, we talk about oil wars lots in the, in the modern age, right? Mm -hmm. um, or, or energy wars maybe is a, is a broader way to say that. So what if, what if you know, we're, we're talking the same conversation is happening over Iraq and you go, it's, it's more of a just war if there's weapons of mass destruction and that was the justification for the war. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you get in there and you go, oh, it turns out there's actually no um, WMDs here. And then, oh, this is like, we need to secure these oil fields and we need to keep the flow of oil going and all these kinds of things. But most of those soldiers were probably going in adhering to most of the criteria for a just war theologically. Yeah. So again, how corrupt then does a government have to be? Because the government is made up of fallen sinners, mm -hmm. just like the rest of society. Um, how, how corrupt does a government have to be before... Lewis's argument starts to become um, a little bit moot because the nation is is acting unjustly. And I do feel like that maybe gets that strays away that's not in the content of the paper. Yeah. But as I as I consider this editorial letter, I go like, oh, like that is a that is the foundation that this argument is built on. And and I would, and I would take that now to a question for you. As I, as I was reflecting on this, and, and you can re respond to anything that I said there, is, um, you know, referring back to the princes thing. In a monarchy, you have one or a very small number of people who need to be acting and deciding righteously, and then the cascade of that decision will filter down through a stratified society, hopefully, and and influence it toward a just war if such a thing exists. Right. But, but righteous decisions in general, but that was, those were criteria that were designed for quote princes and not for quote prime ministers. Hmm. So again, it, it's, it just becomes, it feels like it's too messy yeah. now in, 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 uh, you know, we're speaking from a Canadian context for our parliament mm -hmm. to, to say like, Oh yeah. Like the, these many hundreds of people, men and women together, are speaking for our nation that they've come out with one voice, even though like maybe say that our, our MP, our member of parliament 
um, was a dissenting voice mm-hmm. in the democracy as opposed to the as opposed to the um, the monarchy. Anyway, am I am I getting too far off of of Lewis? And and what would you what would you say to that? I do wonder if those are separate issues. They're obviously very related and interconnected, but the citizens' role in ensuring that they live in a country that has a just government, and then the citizens' role in ensuring that every decision that the government does is just, I think are a little bit separated. Right. Um, you have a role to play as a citizen in in the democracy anyway, in voting in your government and in, and like Lewis said, writing your MP, um, there's democratic roles you can play as a citizen and you can protest, right? We've covered, we've talked about that a lot too. Um, but I think I do tend to like these two points here and I still, I still hang on to them and lean in this direction at very least the one point he's making is that each person of the nation does not have the same moral responsibility for what the nation does as a nation. So what my government decides our country will do, I do not bear moral responsibility for that, particularly if I'm objecting. Right. I, I well, I mean, okay, yeah. Now I'm going. Well, do I? I don't know. This is uh, people. If you're listening and you have thoughts, we'd love to hear them because we're we're literally wrestling with this live. Here's some quotes that I just think are true or or at least very good points to consider first he says if war is ever lawful then peace is sometimes sinful Uh and that's just a that's neither here nor there for our wrestle in this one but it would go well with the pacifism essay Uh, the next quote he says that i really like and think is true he says basically the responsibility for every individual citizen to become up to date on every detail of a conflict, right? Like he said, history, strategy, geopolitics. Yeah. Um, that would require us to neglect our own areas of expertise and calling. Right. Yep. Right. So for me to really investigate, let's say um, the war on terror post nine 11, there's a, I've seen enough YouTube conspiracy videos about, you know, was nine 11 an inside job that some days I'm like, Oh, maybe, you know, and that whole war, I got a lot of questions about, but how do I, as uh, Jordan Duncan, who lives in Southern Alberta, investigate that? I mean, I guess it's not, uh, I'm not an American, so it's not my country, but like, you know, let's say I lived in Montana. How would I investigate that to find out if that war was truly just? It would require me to neglect what God is calling me to do in front of me, like my job. Yes. Right? And to neglect my area of expertise, which apparently is just reading Lewis essays and and <laughs> thinking about them. Um, but you're right, Sean. He's kind. This is kind of a stay-in-your-lane essay. 
Well, which is very Lewis. You know, we, we read um, Two Ways with the Self and I think membership both reflect on this thought mm-hmm. that we are, we are, um, equality is not uniformity. And right, that yeah. we are not looking for uniformity. We are all different. We have different levels of authority, as we've already mentioned, even in this episode. And we have, we have different areas of expertise and, and we should be listened. We should not be listened to equally. The madman on the street should not be listened to sure. in the same way as the expert who's called to give testimony. It's just not the same. Yeah. And, and there may be somebody, you know, there, there's pejorative terms that we throw on people who actually have by even without credentials, let's say gained a level of expertise and, and, and right, um, authority to be heard in a particular arena. So again, let's just use this example where we say a a conspiracy theorist immediately conjures this picture of, of like many movie and novel tropes, you know, our, our good friend, Mel Gibson. Oh yeah. That's a good movie. Like conspiracy theory, the movie. Yeah. Mel, we know that you love this, this podcast, but, but yeah, there's all these different kind of, um, archetypes that we have in our mind of this person who's who's the lone wolf fighting the power, has crazy ideas, who's paranoid, who's probably mentally ill, all these different kinds of things. And we say, wow, that person is crazy. But then they turn out to be right. You know, like some things do end up, you know, being true that people that were a conspiracy kept, kept hidden, but we use this pejorative term against them. Now, anyway, where I'm going though, is that Lewis, Lewis says, if you're a heart pump blood, and if you're a lung breathe, and if you are skin, then feel, um, but if your skin then don't, don't contract like a muscle, don't harden like mm-hmm. a bone. You should be skin. If you're skin, be the organ that you're meant to be within the body, because the body can only function both as a nation and as, as in the church, the body can only function when every member is doing its duty. That's just so Lewis. And, and again, very biblical yeah. too. Um, and, and in this essay, he says, yes, we need to stay in our lane. And, and he makes a good argument for how a nation can only act through its government. And I don't think he's even totally wrong there, though, it, you know, it does get into some gray zones when we think about the art of a nation influencing the world. That doesn't that doesn't get filtered through government or the economy of a nation getting filtered through the and, and representing the nation to the world. You know, um, that kind of thing. Democracy makes it a little bit messy. Yeah. Democracy just makes it a little bit messy, but fundamentally, um, I would agree with, with him and say authority, right. Authority should be adhered to unless we have a very, very good reason that we don't. But now circling back to your comments and, and again, back to the essay is, um, what we would need to do, uh, in order to become fully informed. Yes. Like you said, would take us out of maybe our, our proper place where we would function in society but I think that's the very thing that we do today in our day and age, that social mm. media um, and, and living in the information age where we, we actually expect that because of WikiLeaks that we could have access to secret government documents, that we could form an, an informed opinion of things that would normally go on behind mm-hmm. closed doors and that the average citizen would never know about. And that then with that, that we can influence the the outcome of our nation. And and because I I know that I feel it sometimes, but I meet many, many people, because I'm personally not a huge news guy. I, I really limit my access to the news and, and social media and that kind of thing. But I do know people, especially again through the pandemic, who were daily investing um, significant amounts of time 
to being, quote, informed as new information was coming out. And I don't know that it enhanced their life or, or protected their family or made them a better citizen or contributor to their community or their nation yeah. by being informed that way. So have you seen that? Have you, have you noticed people living in an information age where every citizen thinks that they should have this power that Lewis is saying you don't have? You don't have it unless you're in the government. Um, and have you seen harmful effects of it? Do you think Lewis in 1939, when he wrote this, is accurately reading the 2020s? Yeah, well, uh, I would agree with you. I think that globalization and our ties to be able to see what's going on on the other side of the world, like in real time, if you can click into a, a live uh, camera set up somewhere in, I don't know, Pakistan, if you know, you've got a traffic cam or something like that, right? Like you can, you can click on click around on the internet and see live what's going on on the other side of the world. And you can get news from everywhere and you get social media telling you uh, like real people supposedly posting what's really going on in their lives. Um, so even if, even if, especially right now, like in Russia, uh, the Russian government is saying, here's what we're doing. Here's why we're doing it. And then you see reports right. from Russian citizens posting things online saying, we don't agree with this. We're not behind this. It, this, this globalization of the world, uh, Certainly, we do know more about what's going on in the world, but it also makes us think we know more than we actually know. Yes, agreed. For example, let's say I see this blog post by a Russian saying we don't agree with what they're doing, um, what our government's doing in the war in Ukraine. How do I know that's written by a real Russian citizen, <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't yep. know that. I'm going to assume it is, uh, but I don't know for sure, right? Even if I look at some a live uh, webcam of what's going on there, I, I can I'll probably believe it's real, but I don't know. It could be, it just as easily could be faked by the other side who wants me to get mad about it or what you know wants me to have a certain reaction. Um, and also, just because uh, a Russian citizen says we don't agree, does that mean? that they all don't agree or just that one, or he wants us to think that they all don't agree. Like we, we see pieces. We always see our snapshots from what's going on all over the world. But because we think we're so connected, we think we know everything and we don't, we know snapshots of what's going on. And again, for the yes. record, <laughs> I want to go on record. I don't think Russia should be invading Ukraine. I'm just using it as an example to say, globalization makes us think we know more about what's going on in the world than we actually do. So let's just remember that. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and interestingly, the fruit of it is exactly what Lewis is saying. He, he doesn't think is healthy for a society, which is that it doesn't matter really, again, going back to the hangman and the judicial system, it doesn't really matter if you have a just or an unjust judicial system and you're the hangman, if as the hangman you believe that you have an unjust system. Mm. And so then you believe that everybody who's being put on, on the gallows may be innocent, may be guilty. You have no idea because you don't trust the judge and you don't trust the jury and you don't trust the, the, uh, the lawyers. And so that's fascinating to me. If, if 
you know, we as a society have lost trust in news agencies. We've lost trust in elected government officials, et cetera, et cetera. Then at the end of the day, um, maybe, and this is actually tying back into Lewis, maybe we um, will be more reactionary when, again, if if there is such a thing as a just war, and, and you know that the jury is out for me on that one a little bit, mm-hmm. um, I, I lean toward yes, but, uh, but think that most of the wars that we fight have been unjust and so therefore um, um, evil. Uh, but having said that, if there is a just war, um, then we would miss it because we distrust the government who would call us into it. Yeah. So what I really like about this and, and where I think this is, this is such an excellent thought experiment is that Lewis asks the question, where would the best place be for Christian witness? Yeah. You know, when it comes to pacifism, anti-war sentiment, et cetera. And, and, uh, I don't know if you want to dive into that, um, now, but Jordan, but, uh, but he says, there is a conscientious objector who says, I will not join the army at all because this is an unjust war. And then there's a conscientious objector who signs up, does his, his duty as Lewis sees it, joins the military. And then when he is standing in front of a, of a group of unarmed civilians or, or prisoners of war or whatever else, and there is a moment where he is either tempted in himself or by his... Um, by his unit, by commands, um, un- unrighteous orders that have come down to him to do something that is truly evil. And he knows it and he refuses the order or he refuses the temptation. Um, Lewis, Lewis calls us to say, what would be a better moment of witness? Never joining the war or joining the war and, and only acting justly, so to speak, or only acting righteously within it. What did you think about his, his argument, his thought experiment there? I, I did think that that was the part that was most convincing for me, especially to to make it about Christian witness. Cause I'm assuming that the person who wrote the first letter was probably talking about that. Like we need to object to a war as soon as we think it's unjust, as soon as we have any inclination that it's unjust as Christians to uh, maybe like you're saying, maybe, yeah, maybe to your point, this is what the guy was saying is that it's, it's about a Christian witness. It's about a theological, um, objection that we need to object to the war um for a christian witness and and Uh and lewis says it probably would be a stronger witness if one or two people were in jail for you know say refusing to bomb civilians or or whatever wouldn't that be more of a consistent and clear christian witness like it's certainly clear that what they were asked to do was wrong and they kind of were whistleblowers and said, I'm not going to do that. That would be clear. And that would be a Christian witness probably more so than if hundreds of us went to jail kind of in protest claiming this war is unjust and we know it's unjust because everyone's going to look at us and go, how do you know that they're just going to look at people as conspiracy theories, as conspiracy theorists who are quacked and don't really know. And so we're trying to witness to Christ and, and his ways, but because we're acting on little knowledge in a realm where everything is so complex and we don't know all that's going on, it might not really witness properly to Christ. Whereas if we, if we could trust the government, and again, you're pointing out, maybe you can't, Maybe there's some legitimate questions. Maybe your government is set up and it's not just in the way it's set up or whatever. That's fair. 
Um, but if it is, and you can trust them enough to go to war and then from there object when uh, the bounds are being pushed to injustice on on what's being asked of you as a soldier, I think that would be a better Christian witness. Did you think that or did you still have objections there? I, I think that his argument is extremely compelling. I'll say that, that, that we should... That it's better, and I and I and I would also go on to say, um, that I believe that that same argument of you should be right down there in the trench, so to speak, um, so that you can show what is just and unjust by way of your witness. That argument applies to many, many um, spheres. I know that I've had conversations literally just this week about people taking their taking their children out of um, elementary school in Canada because of what is required in the school system to be taught about gender sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a question. So would I rather be a part of the PTA meetings? Would I w- rather be in the uh, school districts? conversation at a, at a maybe a board or a government's gov- governance level as somebody whose children are attending a public school in Canada? Um, or do I remove them as an act of, of uh, what's the word protest? And, um, and I, w- I would lean toward the latter. I would lean toward the latter. Of course, there's lots of c- scenarios where that might not be the case, but just as one example um, that, yeah, in fact, we should be present in universities and in, in schools, in community boards. Um, you know, it goes all the way down to the question. This is a little bit different than what Lewis is talking about, but, but even, well, you know, should I be present in, you know, a party environment where there's going to be drugs and alcohol? Hmm. Um, you know what? For, for some people, maybe you need to be a conscientious objector before you ever get in the car and end up in that scenario. Yeah. For others, uh, you are going to, you're going to go in there and be a lifeline to people. Uh, that's what I. That's what I would. I would strongly agree with Lewis about just being embedded, being mm-hmm. embedded in a world that uh, that needs us. And I think that war is a is a you know the the military when you're fighting in a controversial war is a, is a great example of of where Christians sh- probably should be embedded. Yeah. Wow. Well, I when I first read this essay, I thought, oh, this answers so many questions. And uh, again, in discussing it with you, it just, the deeper we go, the more questions I have. And they're great. Like answer, questions are being answered and then we find more questions and I love it. But I got to tell you, I am super glad that I found this lost letter of Lewis's. Um, Hey, maybe that's another podcast we could have. Lost Letters of Lewis. The Lost Letters of Lewis. Oh, yes. Let's do it next time. Uh, Just a, a quick thing that I'll tell people too, if... You know, for those of you, and I know there's a few of you who are listening and you are, uh, um, you know, next level Lewis historian, uh, I would, or, or just, a, you know, a studier, um, I, I actually found the article that, uh, that Lewis is responding to while we're recording this. It is available online um, in, uh, in uh, the theological journal that it's from. The journal is called Theology Sage Journals, has, has back copies of it. This is from the January 1939 issue. 
and uh, you can get that that publication. If you have institutional access, then you can get in for free. Otherwise, it's a thirty-seven dollar article. So I'm sorry, we did Oof. not we did not <laughs> uh, pay to get behind that paywall. But it would be something probably worth investigating. Lewis's conversation with this other scholar. Well, Sean, next up, we are heading to Lewis and Scripture. Uh, that's the next episode coming up. Just a little bit of a break from Lewis's essays, but. Um, we're going to take a look back at this season and think through all the essays we read and ask what ties to scripture we see. Um, and so we're going to do that before we head into season two, but I am excited for all of our stuff coming up. So I hope the listener is as well. Sean, I hope you are excited as well, because it's going to be pretty boring if you're not excited. <laughs> Every time I absolutely am. We hope you enjoyed our discussion on this bonus episode at the end of season one. Our second season will be beginning October 5th. In season two, Lewis will be our guide in the Christian life, teaching us to pray and helping us to reflect through the seasons of Advent, Christmas, and Lent. If you want to join us in making these works of C.S. Lewis more well-known, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to leave us a comment and a rating to help get the word out to other listeners. If you have your own thoughts or questions from this episode, we'd love to hear from you. Please send us a message at lesserknownlewis at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. That's a wrap. Oh, great. Wow. <laughs> That's great. Where, where did that even come from? I didn't expect it to go this way at all. <laughs>